0: Three steps. If you can make it onto someone's front lawn, your front lawn is probably sacred. My front lawn is pretty sacred. I'm on their front lawn. They're okay with it. Next step is make it onto their front porch. You're sitting on their front porch, even more of a sacred area, and you get invited into their living room and their kitchen for lunch or breakfast or dinner as a police officer. On shift, on shift, I've Are had you some me? good candied yams, some <laughs> some Thanksgiving dinner, uh, a Coke Zero, which is my drink of choice. And so, and, so
1: hold it, you, you, on shift, you would develop enough relationships where they'd say, "Come in and have lunch
0: with me." Yeah, and how many? If you see a police officer walking into a house, yeah, there's something gonna. Uh-uh. You're not getting ready to sit down and have a big plate of food. That's right. You're usually getting ready to walk out with someone in handcuffs. Now, like I said, front yard first. Baby steps. Front porch. And then, come on in. You're family now. We're gonna feed you.
1: Welcome to An Army of Normal, folks. I'm Bill Courtney. I'm a normal guy. I'm a husband, a father, an entrepreneur, and I'm a football coach in inner city Memphis. And the last part unintentionally led to an Oscar for the film about our football team. It's called, Undefeated. I believe our country's problems will never be solved by a bunch of fancy people in nice suits talking big words that nobody understands on CNN and Fox. Rather, an army of normal folks, us, just you and me deciding, hey, I can help. That's what Tommy Norman, the voice we just heard, has done. He's been called the Michael Jordan of community policing. And Tommy's radical love for his community of North Little Rock, Arkansas, has led him to accidentally become the most famous police officer in the entire United States with 2.2 million followers on Facebook and a million on Instagram. But as you're about to see, Tommy never sought fame and it's definitely not his purpose on this earth. Let's get started right after these brief messages from our generous sponsors.
3: LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash iHeart. That's LifeLock.com slash iHeart to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here.
1: Tommy Norman, it is a honor to meet you, buddy. Thank you for being here.
0: Uh, I'm honored to be here uh, to meet you, coach. I really do
1: appreciate it. Uh, and it's um, I've been looking forward to, to hanging out with you and learning more about you for some time now. When when I heard that Alex and the production team booked you, I i was like, I can't wait to talk to this cat because you got to screw loose a little bit, don't you? <laughs> yes, I do. <laughs> Somewhere. <laughs> so, as you know. <clears throat> This is an army of normal folks, and uh, there's not much, I mean, you're as normal as they come, and I want our listeners to know a little bit about you, so tell me about Tommy the young man. Where'd Tommy come from? What? How'd Tommy grow up?
0: So, North Little Rock, Arkansas. Little Rock is the capital city of the state, around 200,000 population, North Little Rock, is just north of Little Rock, and uh, it's around sixty-seven thousand.
1: Is it a suburb? Would you
0: consider it? Would you consider it high-end, blue-collar? So it's income? not a suburb. It's its own separate municipality. Uh-huh. Um, I would say blue-collar, high-end, um, impoverished areas, all that mixed into one city. Really? Uh,
1: yes. Of seventy thousand.
0: Yes. <laughs> yes. So born and raised in North Little Rock, Arkansas, and six sisters and two brothers, and I'm the youngest. I have a twin sister. And uh, Bill, for as far back as I can remember, my mom always instilled in us to give, whether that was to give to someone that didn't look like us, someone that needed a pair of shoes, a shirt off of your back, just to be nice to people. And, you know, I followed that model my entire life. I learned from the best, who is my mom, and she's actually still here. Six. Um, you said six? Six sisters, two brothers. So nine eight of us. of you? Yes. Nine, including no, me. Oh,
1: six sisters, two brothers, and you. Nine. Nine, yes. Um. Your mom's been given one thing for years. That's birth.
0: Yes. Good grief. <laughs> yes. And she adopted. What, was it? what she, was it? Is She what? She also adopted uh, one of my sisters, Kathy. So Kathy's included in that. In that six. So um, she has eight kids, and then she sees Kathy, and she ad- legally adopts Kathy. And uh, but when you talk about love and loving people, uh, my mom is just the uh, definition of that. And I learned from the best, and that's what I've been doing my entire life. So. I mean, did your dad, your dad, did he make a lot of money? He, was, uh, he worked in uh, carpentry, kind of You know, worked with lumber and wood, and he was really good with his hands. He was a foreman at a construction company, I see. and he would go around and, and uh, kind of check on construction sites, and he worked hard, really hard, to help support the family. But with nine kids, I mean, you couldn't have, I guess you would consider yourself blue-collar. Yes, absolutely, blue-collar. Yes, my mom, we didn't have a lot. We she had to make, you know, money stretch, food stretch, but I mean, we've all grown up to be I think productive citizens uh, back in Central Arkansas and and we've all remained humble. So, you must have shared rooms. Yes. We, we we slept sometimes two and three to a room. My dad did add on to the house. Now at one point we had one That's bathroom. Good.
1: A carpenter at least can make the house work. <laughs>
0: right. <laughs> so at one point we had one bathroom and you know, you're taking turns. I remember by the time I got hold to on, the hold bathroom, on, hold on. How many of you were in the house? There were nine of us
1: in the house. With one? bathroom until my dad had to get up at 3 in the morning and get ready to go to
0: school or or if I was the last in the bathroom you had all these fumes of hairspray and makeup everywhere and so you're right so get up early to beat your sisters to the bathroom or you wait till the last yeah and and spray Aquanet out of your eyes so you can breathe
1: I remember those days that Aquanet (laughs) would kill somebody
0: graduate from what? Main. It was Old Main High School back then in 1990. And so 1990, I graduated. And at the time, I'm a huge Michael Jordan fan. Still today, love Michael Jordan. So I'm thinking, I want to be the next Michael Jordan. So I'm dribbling on basketball everywhere, dribbling with my left hand because I'm right-handed. If I went to the store, went to the rec center, you know, I've got a basketball. I would go out to, to Burns Park. It's a big park in North Little Rock. And it would be dark, so I'd have to turn the light switch on to the, to the light pole that illuminated the basketball court, bought Michael Jordan posters, magazines. Um, Michael Jordan got a lot of my money back then and still gets some today. <laughs> so when I remember I tried out for the high school basketball team at Old Main High School, I made the first cut. Coach Gary Goss was going to make two cuts. I didn't make the second cut. But what was so cool about Coach Goss is he knew how much I loved basketball that he said I could be the stat man for the team so I'm there with the clipboard keeping stats and I can I can picture this coach because you know when the basketball team gets ready to run out of the locker room onto the court I was the lead man with the clipboard I led the basketball team onto the court if I was going to be the next Michael Jordan on the basketball court let me be the best stat man let me be the Michael Jordan of the community I wanted to just to be the best because to me Michael Jordan was was the best he gave it all his his all at everything that he did my head is bald you see a shiny bald head true story coach true story i shaved my head today because of michael jordan because he, he pretty much had a bald head some of his career so i think it's safe <clears throat> to say you're a huge michael jordan fan not the biggest but pretty big yeah <laughs> so um
1: did something in your childhood or did an occasion in your life what
0: what inspired you to be a police officer well, it's a great question and I love telling the story. So my uncle Don Wooten was a chief of police in a small town in Arkansas called Hot Springs Village. Yeah. Yeah, so Hot uh, Springs, that's,
1: uh, that's where the horse track is. Yes, Oakland, Oakland. Yeah, so Hot right. Springs Village actually,
0: is actually actually interesting
1: side note, I think didn't the didn't like the Chicago New York mob used to hang out in Hot Springs? arkansas i am
0: very impressed yes yes not a lot of people know about that but yes. i mean
1: it was like before <laughs>
0: vegas it was a big mob stop and right? i believe that babe ruth even visited hot springs once yeah
1: so, and 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 i th- i think i think there's supposedly uh canals or or like tunnels built through some of the that the that the mob built
0: to hide stuff yes. and to shuttle around i hot, mean isn't that right yeah hot no, springs, you're, arkansas? You're, you're correct you're correct i don't know a lot of the history behind that but that is accurate. That a lot of the mobsters were there um you know the gangsters and and then you know if you talk about sports some of the biggest sports figures stopped through there and because of the hot springs themselves uh, yes exactly the water was supposed to be yeah I mean, that. No, oh, people still go today and they get gallons of water they'll come from all over the us just to get some of that hot springs water and take it back with them some of the purest
1: <laughs> water ever so crazy all right so your <laughs> uncle my was uncle john he was
0: a chief of police in hot springs village and i remember one summer visiting my uncle Family reunion was pretty much every summer at his house. And he had on this uniform that was no wrinkles, pressed, and he had on his shiny police boots, and he wore a leather gun belt. And anytime he would walk around or get out of the seat or get up and move, his leather gun belt would squeak. And I thought the squeaky leather gun belt was the coolest thing ever. I That's don't a know cool why.
1: Image. Yeah. I, I know I think anybody listening. identify with that noise that that patent shiny black leather and when it rubs on something it does that squeaky noise it squeaks and And so as a
0: kid you love that i just i don't know why today but even today i can picture my uncle don and you know he he's not here anymore but if he walked i didn't say a word because i wanted to hear that leather gun belt squeak to me the squeak meant all right this is my uncle he's a chief of police of this town it's a pretty cool experience to see him that was one of the reasons i wanted to be a police officer but I never thought that I had what it took to be a police officer because back then all I really knew was police officers pulled people over, they wrote people tickets, and they took people to jail. When I told some of my close friends and my family that I wanted to apply to be a police officer in North Little Rock, some of them weren't as supportive because they thought that if I became a police officer, it would take away what I was my entire life and that was loving and giving. So, in... Early 1998, I see that there's an opening to be a Northrop police officer. Now, back then, coach, it's newspapers, the print paper. That's where you saw openings of jobs. Now it's online. Yeah, the, classifieds, online. Or yeah, or the classifieds. So, yeah. so I apply and not thinking I'd get a call. So I apply and, and they call me in for an interview. This kind of resembles the interview table. I'm sitting here. There's three officers over here and they ask me a question. Why do you want to be a police officer? And I paused. Because the answer that I had tucked away in my heart was, I want to love people. I want to care for people. I want to park my police car and get out, if given the opportunity, and just talk to people. I want to get on people's front lawns or front porches and ultimately go into their homes if enough trust is built. So the clock is ticking. It's quiet in there. And I'm afraid if I give that answer, which... I think maybe was a cheesy answer. They're not going to hire me because they're not looking for a guy that's trying to get out here and care about people. So the answer I gave them was I want to pull people over. I want to write people <laughs> tickets. I want to take people to jail. All right. right, that, that, uh, That's the answer I gave them. Uh, and so, you got the job. Well, hold on. So, so finish that. And I kept getting all these calls, physical fitness tests, got a call or a letter in the mail. You passed it. Background check. Now, Background checks for police officers, they talk to everybody. They talk to the neighbors that you're living next to now, the neighbors you lived previously to. um, They talk to your job. And now, they didn't do it back then, but I want to include this for anyone that's listening, not just law enforcement, but any line of work. They check your social media.
1: Yeah, Uh, That's Uh, that's a big one. I've talked to kids, kids I've coached, my own kids, that one stupid
0: post can screw up. A lifetime of opportunity if you're not careful. Exactly. And and so at the time I'm working at Pinnacle Point Hospital in Little Rock, Arkansas. I'm a mental health worker. It was around April of nineteen ninety-eight. And I get a call. It was a police recruiter. Her name was Sergeant Armstrong. And she says, Mr. Norman, we got good news. You've been hired at the North Rock Police Department and you need to report June fifteenth. So June fifteenth, nineteen ninety eight. I was so excited. I was actually in the gym playing basketball with the kids at the hospital and when I hung up that phone, I probably could have dunked that basketball.
1: <laughs> I was that excited. So what do I do? Well, I, I got a question. Did your was your uncle alive at the time? Still, yes. Had you spoken to him about what it was like to be a cop? What it was really like? I mean, if you're a, I would think if you're applying and you're really trying to be a cop, you've got this cool resource, a, a guy
0: that you've idolized since you were a kid. Did you talk to him about it? I did. He encouraged me and I struggled with once again if I put on that uniform can I still get out and do what I was raised to do and and and, and that's part of that story will come later but so I was excited so I called my friends my family hey I I got the job I'm going to be a police officer in the city that helped raise me so at the time I was a homebody I was married to my son and my daughter's mom and I didn't like being away from home. So the police academy. Why not? I just, I I was, I don't know. I got homesick a lot. I just think because we were so close as a family. I was so used to being home. I remember I went to Nolan Richardson's basketball camp in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And my dad gave me this calling card that had so many minutes on it. And I maxed that thing out within the first day, calling back home because I was just, I was, I just loved being home. So Hmm. the police academy was in Camden, Arkansas. Hold it. Let me ask you something. Do you, um, there 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 has to be a reason for that Tommy and it, it, you're right and I don't and I've been asked before why did you get homesick do you still get homesick no i'm good now yeah i mean with the platform god has blessed me with i've traveled all over the and i don't get homesick i, I don't know if i was if i was younger I will say this, and this may come off kind of funny, but it's not, but my mom would always nurture us, even as adults. Today, if I told my mom, mom, I'm getting my teeth cleaned next week, she'd want to be there at the chair watching me get my teeth (laughs) cleaned. So I don't tell her when I'm getting my teeth cleaned. Nine kids, and she's still, she's a special person. She is. And she's going to, mom, if you're listening, I love you. I think she's the reason I got homesick. Really? I've never really been asked that question and have to answer it.
1: But I really feel oh, like well, you that... you have to answer it. That's, I, that's
0: a prerequisite on
1: the show. I you have f- to answer all questions.
0: And, and I will. <laughs> I feel like that the love that my mom showed us and she loved us so much, I didn't want to be too far away from her.
1: You felt a real sense of belonging at home. And I still do. I'm still
0: a mama's boy at 50 years old, Coach. That's-
1: well, and the thing is, I, I think about, you know, nine kids in one bathroom. You're either going to be really kind and supportive and close or you're going to hate each other's guts because that's a lot of selflessness fighting over just your little corner of space in the world in a, in a, in a home like that. What, what
0: was, what was the dynamic
1: at home growing up?
0: Well, there were a few knockdown down There were, there was a few knockdown down drag outs, my mom, mom had this brown leather belt. Oh boy. And I'm glad that leather belt is went missing. <laughs> I won't I won't say what happened to the leather belt, but if you ever late getting home, if you ever smarted off, if you didn't say yes ma'am or yes sir and you never said huh. You don't say huh around my mom. Yeah. And um she would whoop that. We button. we uh uh, not even but it would the belt would come across your face i mean there, if there was whatever if, she could get right to, thank god we, we you. didn't call child protective services back then <laughs> <laughs> because but my mom that's how we ended up the way we are today let me tell you
1: something i've got four kids they uh they are now 27 26 25 and 24 meaning they were one two three and four now there wasn't nine of them but there are four and four years and I was working, growing my business, coaching football. And so I was 70, 80 hours a week working. Now I, when I was home, I was home and I wasn't, I'm not, I'm not saying I was a, a dad that wasn't there, but Lisa was alone with the kids a lot. And with four kids that close to each other, you know, your mama had a belt. Well, my wife had a wooden spoon and my wife, kept a wooden spoon in her purse at all times, she had three wooden spoons, one was on the nightstand, one was in her purse all times, she kept one under the visor of her car, and you might not like this as a safety patrol officer running around seeing people drive like this, but my wife could drive with her left hand, doing 60 down the interstate, and smack kids in the rear back seat of a Suburban with a wooden spoon and not miss a beat. I have seen I have I have seen my family drive up in my driveway and all four kids are kind of plastered up against the sidewalls of the back of the thing to to avoid the reach of the wooden spoon so I guess I I could identify with your mom when she'd had enough she probably looked like an octopus with that butt leather belt.
0: But I think, well, think- y'all
1: scattering like oh, hell too. Man,
0: and then I learned to put the book in the back of my pants. <laughs> <laughs> but now you just told the story about Lisa. I think I'd prefer the leather belt over that wooden spoon. That wooden
1: spoon. I mean, I could hear that thing slapping two rooms away. So yeah. Ooh. So yeah, it's followed by some squalling by one or four kids. Yeah.
0: But at the end of the day, she loved us, and when we woke up the next morning, she loved us, and I feel like thinking about it right now sitting here across from you that that's probably one of the reasons that I didn't like being away from home because I just counted so much on my mom and my family.
1: It's where your love and acceptance was.
0: Yes. We'll be
2: right back. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global.
4: Put the spring back into your step and into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply.
5: Rain or shine, every day is a great day for fishing, right? You got rain gear, but you can't overlook sunny day gear. A Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie has you covered on the sunniest days. Like, literally. So I'm at the
0: police academy. It's a 12 week academy. Halfway through, I give in to the homesickness. I pack up and I'm driving back home. I just told the uh, instructors at the police academy, one of my kids was sick. I lied. And halfway back home, I call my mom, I said, Mom, I'm going to get a job that requires me not to travel. Uh, I can go back to work at Pinnacle Point. I can be a mental health worker. Go to nur- I thought about being a nurse. I go to nursing school. I'll, I'll make it work. She said, pull over right now. She said, you want to always make your family proud. You've always wanted to be a police officer. You want to make your Uncle Don proud. She said, you're turning around you're going back to the police academy. And I did. I went back and crawled back in bed. It's interesting that you called your mom and not your wife. Yes. Yes, exactly. My wife may have said, okay, come on back home. Right. But there's only one mom out there, and, and that woman knew I was going to regret that decision. And I went back and, you know, the story now behind that um, is really, really powerful. I mean, that's a real turning point in your life. Because if
1: your mom had said, no, nah, baby, I love you. Come on home. Your life's trajectory would be 180 degrees different than
0: it is today. And I thought, Coach, that if I would have gave into that homesickness and kept on traveling and not called my mom until the next day. And there's no going back then. You know, if I say, OK, I want to come back, they're not going to let me back at the police academy. No, um, you, you you bolted. Right. And it, I, would, I thought, well, then the next days and weeks when I didn't follow my dream and I see these police officers in these police cars. i would be miserable. Uh, yeah, I want to be in that police car. I want to at least see what kind of difference can I make in North Little Rock, Arkansas with a badge and a police car and more importantly with a heart.
1: You know, one of the purposes of this show is to, t- obviously one of them is to tell compelling stories and hopefully over time, literally build an army of normal folks, just normal people doing extraordinary things in their community that maybe has an opportunity to change the trajectory of our culture today. Now that's a moon mission. I mean, this is a a podcast where we talk to interesting people and tell interesting stories, and I have no idea if it's going to have the legs or power to actually create a movement, but it would be great if it did. And that movement would be shepherded by people like you and others whose stories we tell. But it's so important that people listening to us understand when we're talking about an army of normal folk, we're not talking about people born into wealthy families who have all kinds of advantages and have the nice suits and live in the big houses and, and, and appear on Fox and CNN and, and, and all of that, you know, because those people have been in charge for decades. And I I think we can look at largely their success in our society and say that their efforts have been woefully inadequate. Our government, a lot of places that I just, I get so frustrated with all the power and ability that ends up doing a lot of self-serving for them work and leaves a lot of folks wanting. So for an army of normal folks, to work we have to establish it's an army of normal folks and to hear your story you, to to grow up in with one bathroom and a mom who loves you and a blue-collar dad who you know by all purposes tommy you were poor you just didn't know it because that's all you knew and to hear that that you wanted to be a cop because of your uncle and hot springs And then you finally get the opportunity, and halfway through it, you pack up your car and you leave because you're homesick. I mean, those are just real struggles. But that's what normal people go through, isn't it? Yes, sir. You're just a normal dude. Yes. You're just a normal dude with your own insecurities and, and your own homesickness and everything else. You still had a dream, but you're just a normal dude. And the point is, we all struggle with weird stuff. And your mom, who knew you best, said, pull your drawers up and get your ass back to camp. Exactly what she said. And change the trajectory of your life because you listened to your mom to overcome your own insecurities. I mean, I think that's a beautiful thing. <clears throat> and I think it says, it should say, to, everybody listening to this right now has insecurities because we're human beings and we have them. Everybody has something they have to overcome and sometimes it's just as much as
0: putting your head down and deciding I'm gonna I'm gonna get this head on, and so that's what you did. And coach, something else to add on to my homesickness was I kind of always question, as a police officer, can I even make a difference? You that know, makes because sense. you know, so if I'm leaving because I'm homesick, I'd already been questioning, you know, can police officers do more than write tickets and take people to jail? And and I didn't know yet because I haven't worked one minute on the street. So I gave in to those insecurities until ah, my mom Yeah, you let the doubt you let the doubt cloud you. So homesickness and the icing on the cake that night I started to drive back home was okay, I kinda question anyway, is this really? occupation? Is it gonna change who I don't want it to change who I am. My mom taught me our entire life, you better not forget where you came from. So I had two confirmations in my mind. I'm homesick and maybe this is not what I want to do anyway.
1: Because I may not be able to be me with this badge on
0: exactly
1: which is what we're going to get to in a little bit yes um so i guess you turn around because your mama told you to and she still had a belt at that time even though you grown
0: she would have still used it (laughs) she would have still a police officer or not she would she would still let me have it and you go
1: back and you graduate yes and what year do you become a full-fledged
0: policeman so 1998, uh, graduated from the academy probably towards the end of the year. Then when yeah. you graduate from the academy, you come back and you train for six months with a field training officer. Meaning you're riding with riding. You're riding with, you're riding riding and with someone, it. and it, eventually they'll let you drive, and they, they kind of monitor you and observe you. And after six months, here's a key. Here's a police car. You're on midnight shift. Your day's off for Tuesday, Wednesday. Now, I'm excited. I finally get to. Get out in the community and the p- police. I, I have a question because
1: I really don't know, and I I imagine most don't. I've actually always wondered this. So when they say, "Here's your key, here's your police car, you here's your shift, go," do you have a like a a set coordinates of a part of a city that you quote patrol, or do you can you go anywhere? No, How, you're, you're
0: assigned what we call a certain beat. A beat, a beat, a beat. Sure, yeah, 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 a beat. So. The beat that I was assigned to was the beat that I wanted. I grew up in North Rock, and it was what we call downtown North Rock in some areas that are impoverished, families that are poor, families that have really never been given a chance. I got to believe that's one of the more dangerous areas, though. Yes, it's definitely not a walk in the park. But that's what you wanted. That's what I wanted. That's what I wanted. But I'm on midnight shift, Coach. Everybody's asleep. Okay. I want people that are awake, people that I can interact with. So you wanted that that you wanted that beat, but you didn't want that shift. With seniority, you're not going to get the right. hours you want. So this is where I hope people listening to this pay real close attention because it it, it gets even more powerful. So after a couple of years, I'm on second shift. Still not with the best days. What off. time is second shift? Two p.m. to ten p.m. Okay, love it. There's cars, there's people outside, there's kids. So what I do initially is I park my police car when time allowed, and I would walk different streets and talk to people. Some people would wave back. Some people would would engage with me. Some people would turn their backs and go inside their houses. There's this new police officer assigned to our neighborhood. What is he doing walking down the street? What is he doing wanting to say hi to us?
1: I think the initial reaction of anybody is... When you see a cop walking down the street,
0: something bad's happened or about to happen? Exactly. Exactly. And so I was a little discouraged, but I'm telling myself, okay, you finished the academy. This is what you wanted to do. You get back out the next day and the next week and the next month and the next year. And I did. I remember one evening right before dark, I parked my police car on a church parking lot and I started walking. This is probably within the first five years of my career. And after a few minutes, I looked to the right. There's a line of kids on the right. I look to the left. There's a line of kids on the left. And we're walking like an army. And I'm smiling, thinking, this is working. In 2005, I'm a seven-year officer. My shift ended at 2 p.m. By that time, I was on day shift. A gentleman in Little Rock, Arkansas, called the police department and said it was urgent that he saw me. It couldn't wait. So I go over to Little Rock. Uh, this gentleman is homeless. He's sitting in front of a pay phone at a gas station. I sit down next to him. I'm still in uniform.
1: Hold on, hold on, this homeless guy called the
0: police and wanted to see you. Yes, but in Little Rock. I work in North Little Rock. Okay. So. Can you do that? Can you cross? Well, I'm off work. Oh, okay. Um, you know, I did tell my supervisor, hey, I want to go over here and see what this guy wants. But, but you're I'm, still in uniform. Yeah, still in uniform. I drive over and I get out and sit down next to him. And after five minutes of conversation, he tells me he's a murder suspect. Inside a homeless camp a week before this, he beat a man to death with a piece of two by four. And I remember seeing the story on the news and they were looking for this guy. So I get on my radio, I call my dispatch. They call Little Rock police. They're showing up within a matter of minutes. And one of the first things an officer said when he got out of his police car is, how did you find this guy? We've been looking for him. And he found you. My response was, I didn't find him. He found me. So they, they lift him up, put him in handcuffs, a very peaceful arrest, but I could not let them drive away with this guy until I asked him this question. Sir, you never met me before. Why did you call me to turn yourself in? He said he was afraid that it was so exhausting to hide from the police. He asked another homeless guy in Little Rock, what can I do? That homeless guy, I don't even know who he is today, said call Tommy Norman in North Little Rock and you could surrender with dignity and respect. The moral of that story is my reputation solved a murder. That's amazing. My reputation solved the murder and it goes back to my mom raising me to treat people. I don't care if they were different color than I was. They didn't have as much as we, we had. That was confirmation. Thank God I turned around and went back to the police academy. And thank God I followed my Uncle Don's advice. My seven years of just being nice to people, not slapping handcuffs on people or taking people to jail, but seven years of being nice to people took a murderer off the streets. Well, let's.
1: First of all, it's amazing. Um, Probably the first murder case ever solved because a cop was sweet. Um, I mean that's phenomenal but let's let's talk about the seven years that led up to that and the ensuing years of your career now, which is um the extraordinary thing that that you have done is um our culture today says that if you're um let's just be candid if if you're black or brown or a minority that, you know, the first thing you do is fear a cop. You fear that badge, you fear that uniform, you fear the police because nothing good happens with the cops. And so that that has become a cultural thing. I have a really, really good friend who I coached. Um, his sons and my sons came up playing football together, and we actually coached their like sixth and seventh grade football team and in through, uh, seventh grade, actually third through seventh grade. And the guy played in the NFL and he is now a, um, executive with a pharmaceutical company. He lives in a really nice suburb of Memphis in a 4,500 square foot house. And his kids go to very expensive private schools. I mean, by all practical purposes, he's, uh, upper end wealthy cat who's done really really well and he's black and his sons are black but he's on the very high end of the socioeconomic scale and he and i are are tight we're buddies and i i asked him when his oldest son was first driving you know how it was going and he said, Well, you know, it's going well, his insurance good, he hadn't had any wrecks, he's doing good and he said, um, but I I did have to have, you know, the talk with him. And I said the what do you mean the talk? And he said, Oh man, I forget, you're white. And I'm like, What are you talking about? I'm white And he said, Well, the talk about how to act if a if an officer pulls him over. And I'm like, Dude, he's he he, he we, You live out in the, in the suburbs. You're driving around in a nice car. This kid's got, you know, he's he's squared away. He's not, you know, what's he got to be worried about? And he looked at me like I was a fool. And he said, man, to, to have worked so much in the inner city and to be so in tune with what's going on, he said, it shocks me how naive you can be sometimes. That's what he said to me. And I'm like, what are you talking about? He said, my son's black. And he said... Black folks, when they get pulled over by the cops, have a, a, a lot greater potential to have bad things happen than do white people. And I said, do you really believe that? And he said, I don't believe it, I've lived it. And I'm gonna tell you, when I heard that, it really bothered me because I didn't believe it. Um, and that kid I'd known since he was in third grade, he, hell, he's better mannered than my own sons. I'd have traded my two kids for that one kid. He was that good a kid, you know what I mean? And, I mean, he was he was a great kid, and I couldn't ever imagine him being pulled over and being treated in a bad way just because he was black. And then it happened. He got pulled over, and um, it was near the school, and my sons and some of their friends saw him get pulled over, and they pulled... My kid's friends pulled over in a, in a parking lot not far from where it was, and they got their phones out. And um, all he was doing was he he took a he took a turn without a blinker, and they pulled him over. They made him get out. They searched him. They spread him on the car and searched him. They looked all through the car. They went through the trunk. Asked him not if he had anything on him, but said specifically where where are you hiding your weed, and treated him with and an, a an assumption that was in nowhere near in line with um with who he was as a kid and my kids had been pulled over plenty of times in our suburb and never asked to do anything but show them their driver's license and my kids came home and said man it is different and that's heartbreaking to me. Um, and But with that story in my consciousness, which I will never forget, um, I think about a white dude who's a cop parking his car in a predominantly African-American part of North Little Rock and walking down the sidewalk. I, I get what the, the man did seven years later once you've established a relationship, but I have to believe that most people are looking at you like you were out of your damn mind. And none of them wanted anything to do with you because they were afraid of you because of the reality of their experience with white police.
0: Now, is is what I'm saying true or is what I'm saying sensationalized? No, what you're saying is absolutely real life. It happens. So I kind of skipped out on day one to 2005. Yeah, we're going to go day
1: one. It's cool. It's a, we, mm-hmm. we jump
0: around and How time, did I get there? But I want to know what it was
1: really like for you those first six months. Forget everything that we're going to get to everything that's happened. Right. Because that's inspiring and beautiful and hopeful. But I'm just from... From my experience with my children and my children's friends, and what I now know to be true, that as a person who works in the inner city, I still didn't understand it, and I finally do. I cannot imagine what those those people must have thought you were out of your damn mind walking up and down the sidewalk as a white guy in a in a in a uniform, and I can't imagine any of them warmed to you. It, it there had to have been a first. There had to have been, you know, and I want to hear about that. I want to understand how you broke through that cultural expectation that you were the enemy.
0: I came back. When I say I came back, Coach, is if I walk through this neighborhood today, I came back the next day. I think coming back and keeping your promise and being that familiar face is one of the big ways to kind of slowly but surely chip away at these barriers that are between communities of color and police officers, and m- most specifically white police officers. And when I say I come back is, you know, you, you, you meet a family, and you check on this family every day. And then- What do you mean you che- you, you literally go up, knock on the door, and say- Oh, you exchange numbers, even on your day off. You call them. Hey, it's Officer Norman. How's it going? You ask them. You should- you call people on your day off? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. We're family. We're, I'll get to how we became family, but you're family. So you narrow it down to one family. Now, I do things in the masses in big, big numbers, but you narrow it down to one. If you can change one family's perception of, of police officers, I think you've done a pretty good job. So you want to know where does a dad work? Where does a mom work? How are the kids doing in school? You know, did someone just get married? Uh, did someone just have a baby? Right. You don't just want to know their license plate numbers and their addresses on front of their house. You want to know what's behind. I want people to know by what's behind my badge. I want to know what's behind that address on that house. What was really cool to me is after about the first year of being a police officer. So it did take a year. Oh, it took a while because guess what? That badge is not going to earn you trust and respect. It's not, it's not for some people it will, but for people in these communities that don't really trust police officers, your uniform is not going to cut it. Your police car is not going to cut it, but your heart will. And you have to come back. So after the first year, This one family, I get invited to a six-year-old's birthday party. This little girl, we were buddies. We became friends. But guess what? I said yes to the invitation. You think I wore my uniform? No. I don't want people just to see me in my uniform. I wore a pair of Levi's and a button-down shirt, and I had the best time. You talk— What's your birthday party, like at their house or something? Yeah, it was at their house. And if a police— In your beat. In my beat. But let me say this, there were people looking at me because, first of all, Officer Norman showed up at a birthday party in blue jeans and a button-down shirt, and just like you talked about, Coach, I've been to multiple birthday parties now, visits to children's hospital, I've been to weddings, spoke at a few funerals. They forget when you actually wear your uniform to one of these places, you're still a police officer, Officer Norman. Officer Norman. And you talked about. So instead of seeing the badge first, now they see Tommy. And first. that was my goal. That has been my goal since since day one. And and I don't want to say no to all these invitations you get. I think as a police officer, you need to honor most of those. Because if you go above and beyond and you're showing up at birthday parties and people are sick and they want you there. That is a humbling and a huge Privilege. Have
1: you ever pulled up, or in those early years, you ever pulled up on on kids and they just run off? Yes, run, run from you. What, what was your reaction to
0: that? Uh, first of all, chase them. Really? <laughs> I mean, if they're running from you for 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 a reason, I didn't know exactly what you were talking about. But no, as far no, as I'm, being, I'm oh, you mean as far as kids I'm, being scared? Okay, yeah. See, oh, so, I have another story. I'm getting excited. I need I need to slow down. So there's a story of a young man and his siblings that are at a. Um, playground and they see me coming and they run inside their apartment, public housing. And I see the door that this young man goes in. When you say young man, age? Eight or nine. Okay. Kids. Uh, they bolt to their apartment and they got in that back door fast. Now, you know just, why?
1: They've been taught when they see the cops to haul up. Probably.
0: So I see the door. I get out of my police car and I knock on the door. It's a metal door. So it's a loud knock. And the mom comes at the door. Is everything okay, Officer Norman? Not really, because I'm driving down the street and your kids run into their apartment. And I just want to know why. And she called the kids. You the just d-
1: said, why?
0: Yeah, I just want to know why. Not in an accusing way. No. You really wondered. And I told her that. They haven't done anything wrong. And she called them. There were four kids. She called them up to the door. And Officer Norman wants to know why you ran from him. And. They're scared of police officers. That bothered me. That bothered me because I want them to run. My goal has been my entire career is I want kids to run to my police car, not run from my police car. Now, what could I have done? I could have kept driving. Oh, those kids ran for me. I don't know why, but I stopped. It helped that I saw what apartment they went in and they told me. They kept it as real as they could as kids. We're scared of police officers. So I made it a point to what did you say to him? Did you say did you I mean, I can
1: imagine kneeling down, getting on one knee on their level and look them at the eye and say, hey,
0: I'm Officer Norman and don't be afraid of me. I'm here for you. I mean, what what did you say? It's one thing to say that, but it's another thing to show that and prove that. So I remember the address and I kept coming back and visiting the kids whenever they saw something about kids is they remember the numbers to a police car. Hmm. so then I have a every police car has a number on their police unit kids know me so well down to the number on my police car and they remember that now that's that's pretty cool if you think about it that so, is very cool um and, and and so you know these kids now it's been a few years and I still see them but my goal was it's one thing to say you care about someone and not to be scared but you've got to show it you've got to show it and so um that that was just a story of I don't so d- know Did you just keep going by? Keep going by. Some of the things I do and and you know sometimes p- people will kind of give me a hard time but in the trunk of my police car uh it's toys, it's peanut butter crackers, it's pop tarts, it's uh <laughs> it's it's squeeze it's it's not you know it's not SWAT gear, it's not, you know, battering rams. Uh you know it's, you know, it's- it just <laughs> dawned on me.
1: You are uh you're almost like I mean, I know you wear a gun on patrol but the old Andy Griffith show, the sheriff that wouldn't ever wear a gun on his on his on his holster. I mean, you're carrying around stuff most cops don't carry around.
0: I mean, it, and, and you know, my skin is thicker today after twenty-five years in law enforcement, but but early in my career, you know, people are you know, he's giving out Pop Tarts and peanut butter crackers. Absolutely I am. For a few reasons. Sometimes that's all the food the kids will get that day. And secondly, if this kid's five years old, when he's 25 years old, he's going to remember that exchange from my hand to his peanut butter crackers. It filled his belly and it made him happy. Well, that concludes part one of
1: our conversation with Officer Norman. And I really hope you'll listen to part two that's now available. Trust me, this interview just keeps getting better. But if you don't, Make sure you join the Army of Normal Folks at normalfolks.us and sign up to become a member of our movement. It only takes committing to doing one new thing this year to help others. And there will be a ton of awesome ideas on this podcast from the folks we're featuring. And some of them will resonate with you deeply and others may not at all. And that's okay. We're all called to do different things with our different talents. By signing up, you'll also receive a weekly email with a short episode summary, in case you happen to miss an episode or prefer reading about our incredible guests. Together, with each of us doing what we can, we can change this country. And it starts with you.